Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Fast Freight to Boot Hill, written by Edwin Booth. A classic Western hailed as perfect. I reckon you don't know who you're talking to, mister. I'm Monty Lyman, and I'm not afraid of anybody, let alone a saddled tramp drifting through town. Hell, I wouldn't even waste my time looking at you, except that I can't let folks get the idea that it's healthy to tangle with a Lyman. All right, boys, go get him. But the man Lyman was teaching a lesson was no fiddlefoot drifter. He may have looked like one, but he was Jim Dixon, a fast-shooting, fast-thinking freighter who had come to town alone to scope out its business possibilities. But Dixon's men and wagons weren't far behind, and together they made a hard-fighting partnership no man or men could stand against. Lyman had given Dixon a reason to stay, and so had his meeting with Ellen Carter, a woman of good breeding and exceptional strength, married to one of the slimiest tin-horn gamblers in the West. Lyman held the entire town of Cottonwood in a grip of fear, and everyone paid tribute to him, but not Jim Dixon. He was the only man who dared stand up to this two-bit tyrant, and soon the trails into and out of town were ringing with gunshots and one of the deadliest battles the range had ever seen. Because the only lesson Dixon learned from the midnight beating was that he'd better waste no time lining up his six-guns on Lyman's whole sidewinder crew. Dixon's only fear was that he would have to kill Ellen's husband, and that meant he could never marry her. But Ellen and the women of Cottonwood had their own plan for dealing with the war. Either way, Lyman and his men were about to be tagged fast freight for Boot Hill. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Fast Freight to Boot Hill. Chapter 1 It was just past sunset when Jim Dixon left the restaurant, but already there was a chill wind blowing off the mountains to the west, bringing the smell of rain. Not the kind of night to get caught out in the open if you could help it, he told himself. Besides, this little town was probably no worse than the last and there was always a chance that it might be better than the next. He stepped away from the greasy smell of the restaurant and stood for a moment at the edge of the wooden sidewalk to stare thoughtfully along the two rows of shabby, false-fronted business buildings. Except for one thing, this might be any one of the half-dozen cow towns he had come through on the long ride from Colorado, the one difference being in the names of the storefronts. Among others, there was a Cottonwood Hotel, bank of Cottonwood and the restaurant he had just left, which was called the Cottonwood Cafe. He smiled. One thing about it, the stranger couldn't help knowing what town he was in. He, his horse, a bay gelding, stood tiredly at the tie rail, its rump turned to the wind. Jim stepped down to the road and untied the reins and climbed into the saddle and headed toward a livery stable that he had noticed on the way in. Most of the business places were closed for the night except for the Happy Day Saloon. But as Jim passed the hotel, a man came out and lit the lantern which was hanging from a nail beside the doorway. He was a big man, his shoulders humped a little as though from habitually looking down at people. When he finished with the lantern, he squinted at Jim curiously, and Jim waited for him to speak. 
but he went back into the hotel without saying anything. So Jim shifted his attention to the other side of the street, where another man had just come out onto the sidewalk. The second man was small, almost dapper-looking, with a thin mustache which he kept worrying with the fingers of his left hand. He wore a tied-down gun, and the fading daylight glittered on a brass star pinned high enough on his shirt to be visible above the lapel of his coat. There was something about his looks that Jim didn't like, but he was careful to keep it from showing in his face, and he said politely, Good evening, Sheriff. The smaller man lifted his chin quickly, but it was a little dark for Jim to read his expression. Then he moved to the edge of the sidewalk and shook his head. Not sheriff, stranger. I'm town marshal. My mistake, Jim said. He turned his horse toward where the man was standing. I'm new here, marshal. Figured to put my horse in the stable down the street and see what it's like to sleep in a bed for a change. He leaned down from the saddle and held out his hand. Name's Jim Dixon. I'm Steve Ellis, the marshal said. He shook Jim's hand briefly. You planning to stay around for a while, Dixon? Well, that depends, Jim said. He was about to add more, but an ingrained caution made him hold his tongue. And he merely added, Well, if I'm going to get this horse taken care of and find me a room, I'd better do it before the rain hits. Maybe I'll see you tomorrow. It's likely. The marshal moved back from the edge of the walk and let his hands drop to his sides. Something about the gesture reminded Jim of someone, and as he rode toward the livery stable, he tried to decide who it was. Quite probably, he had never seen the man again after tomorrow, so it really didn't make any difference. Nevertheless, it was still on his mind when he turned off the street into the entrance to the livery stable. It was dark inside, but Jim could hear horses stirring in their stalls. He dismounted and waited a moment for someone to make an appearance. When nobody did, he called, Anybody about? After a bit, the door to a room at one side of the barn swung open, and a man came out holding a lantern. He lifted the lantern above his head and stared at Jim a little belligerently. What's the rush? he demanded. I heard you come in. I would have been here in another minute anyway. He was a man in his late twenties, to judge by his looks, and there was a truculent thrust to his unshaven jaw. Everything about him, the surly voice, the bulge of his shoulders, and especially the challenging glint in his eyes, grated on Jim's nerves. Didn't mean to hurry you, friend, he said. I'd like to put up this horse for the night. Looks like it might get pretty wet out before morning. The liveryman shrugged. All right, mister, it'll cost you six bits. He reached up to hang the lantern on a wire hook suspended from the floor of the loft above and added, meaningly, in advance. Jim found himself liking the man less every minute, but he reached in his pocket and took out a silver dollar. We've come quite a ways today, me and this horse. As long as I'm treating myself to a bed, I reckon he's due to be pampered a little, too. Give him a clean stall and a good rub down, and you can keep the change. The man frowned at the money for a moment, then held out his hand. You don't have to tell me how to take care of a horse, he said. He pocketed the dollar and snatched the reins out of Jim's hand. The horse jerked its head nervously, and Jim instinctively reached for the reins, then let his hand fall to his side. 
No doubt the man knew his business, or he wouldn't be here. Probably the liveryman was just touchy about being interrupted at whatever he'd been doing, and we cool off in a few minutes. When he turned in the doorway for a final look, the liveryman was leading his horse down an aisle between the two sets of stalls. Jim noticed with some surprise that the other animals were all watching uneasily, their eyes showing a lot of white. He shook his head and went out into the street. Clouds were piling up in the west, and there was a distant rumble of thunder. What little daylight there might have been was blotted out by the approaching storm. Someone had lit a tar barrel in front of the Happy Day Saloon, its flickering light throwing grotesque shadows against the store buildings. Jim left the front of the stable and started toward the saloon to buy himself a nightcap. But halfway across the street, he remembered that his few personal belongings were still in his saddlebags, so he turned back toward the stable. Strangely enough, the big barn was already dark again, but a little stream of light leaked out around the partly closed door to the living quarters, providing enough illumination so that Jim was able to make his way between the two rows of stalls. He spoke softly, and the gelding responded with a nicker. Jim located him in the last stall and edged him beside him, laying his hand on the animal's back. As he had suspected, it was caked with dried sweat. Jim cursed under his breath and left the stall. He crossed the barn and pushed through the doorway to the lighted room, a cold anger beginning to tighten his muscles. What he found did nothing to assuage his temper. The liveryman was sitting on the edge of a bunk, pouring through the pages of a torn and tattered newspaper. He looked up as Jim entered and said irritably, Now what the hell do you want? Just a couple of answers, Jim said quietly. His voice had a way of becoming deceptively soft when he was most angry. And it was soft now. Unless I'm going deaf, you said you'd give that horse of mine a rubdown. It's easy to see he hasn't been touched. The liveryman's face reddened, and he threw the paper on the floor. Damn it, fella. I told you once not to tell me how to run my business. I'll rub him down when I get around to it. He got to his feet and rammed his hands into his hip pockets. By damn, if you don't like the way I run this table, you can take your business somewhere else. A deal's a deal, Jim said. If you don't want to do the job right, you should have said so ten minutes ago. Now that you've taken my money, you're going to earn it. He moved to the center of the room and picked up the lantern. While I'm here, I'll see how much else you forgot. Now hold on, the liveryman said. I'm not going to... But Jim was already out in the barn, the lantern swinging from his hand. He walked stiffly to the farther stall and scowled at the floor. Behind him, the other man's boots pounded angrily on the wooden boards. Jim turned to face him. You call this a clean stall? he demanded. From the looks of it, the hay hadn't been changed for a month. He pointed at an accumulation of dried horse droppings. I didn't object when you charged me half again as much as I paid anywhere else. In fact, I gave you two extra bits for a little special attention. But by thunder, I'm going to get what I paid for, if I have to stand over you with a club. 
The livery man stared at him malevolently. I reckon you don't know who you're talking to, mister. I'm Jake Lyman. You could be President Cleveland, and it wouldn't make any difference to me, Jim said coldly. All I want is what I bargained for, a clean stall and a rubdown. The quicker you get started, the sooner you get back to your newspaper. The man's eyes narrowed, and he made a grab for his gun, but Jim had been expecting something of the sort. He lashed out with his boot and sent the gun sailing. Watch yourself, Lyman, he warned. There's no sense getting yourself killed over a dollar. Lyman glared at him, his jaw muscles bunched. Talking comes easy, he snarled, when you got the only gun. I reckon you'd sing a different tune except for that hog leg in your holster. Jim let out his breath in a gusty sigh. The last thing he wanted was trouble, even with a lion bully like this Jake Lyman. But things had gone too far now to back down. He hung the lantern on a corner post of his horse's stall and draped his gun belt beside it. All right, Lyman, if that's what it takes to convince you, let's get it over with. Without answering and with surprising agility for such a big man, Lyman closed in, catching Jim in the ribs with a blow that felt like the kick of a mule. Jim gasped as the air exploded out of his lungs. He saw another roundhouse coming and tried to duck out of the way, but his back bumped into the corner of the stall, and Lyman's fist caught him a glance and blow on the side of his head, knocking him off balance. His feet went out from under him, and he sprawled in the passageway between the two rows of stalls. Lyman towered over him, his teeth bared. By God, I told you to watch out, mister. Next time you'll know better. He leaped at Jim with both feet, obviously expecting to finish the fight before it was well started. It was pure reflex that made Jim roll out of the way. His head was spinning, and there was a sharp pain in his side, as though a rib had been broken. But he managed to get clear of Lyman's high heel boots. Fortunately, Lyman's feet skidded on some loose hay, and he went to his knees. He gave Jim time to get to his feet, but he had to hang on to the side of the stall for support. Lyman wiped a big hand across his mouth and moved in for the kill. His red-rimmed eyes narrowed to slits. He jabbed at Jim with his left, and his right fist came around in an arc that seemed destined to take Jim's head off his shoulders. But desperation made Jim twist aside just in time, and the huge fist crashed into the side of the stall with a racket that set all the horses to kicking and yanking at their halter ropes. Lyman stared surprisedly at his bruised knuckles for a second, and he gave Jim a chance to catch his breath and shake the cobwebs out of his head. When the big man came at him again, he ducked inside the blow and buried his left fist in Lyman's belly. Lyman grunted with pain and doubled over, his chin making a perfect target for Jim's dynamite-laden uppercut. They were the first blows Jim had landed, and Lyman backed off and stared at him perplexedly. I'll kill you for that, he said savagely. Nobody hits a lineman and gets away with it. He charged at Jim with the blind fury of a wounded grizzly, his big arms outspread as though he intended to break Jim's back in a bear hug. Jim sidestepped easily, in full control of his faculties once again, and bounced a right off Lyman's jaw. The big man went down on his knees, a dazed look in his eyes. Jim stood back and waited for him to get up, but instead of renewing the attack, 
Byman made a dive for his gun, which had come to rest beside one of the stalls. Jim hurled himself on Lyman's back, slamming him to the floor. He flipped the gun out of Lyman's reach and got to his feet. That settles it, Lyman, he said grimly. I don't mind a dirty fight, but when you try to bring a gun into it, the fun's over. He took his own gun belt off the post and strapped it on. Now that you've had your try, get busy on that stall. Lyman rose groggily to his feet. There was blood on his chin, and his right fist was beginning to swell. But he gave no indication of being licked. You can rot in hell before I'll clean that stall, he said harshly. Next time we meet, you'll learn what happens when you tangle with a lyman. He turned and staggered toward the living quarters, placing his feet down carefully. Jim followed, suspecting that the man might have another gun hidden somewhere. But Lyman only reached under the bunk for a war bag and threw some of his belongings in it, then tucked the bag under his arm and went back out into the barn, leaving a trail of blood behind him. He glanced uncertainly at his gun, still lying in the dirt of the floor. Then he headed for the street. In the doorway, he turned. I won't forget this, mister, and neither will you. If you're smart, you'll saddle that horse of yours and make tracks away from here before Marty finds out what happened. Wait a minute, Jim said. You can't just walk off and leave your livery stable. Lyman spat in the dirt. It ain't my stable. To hell with it. With that, he drifted off into the darkness. Jim crossed to the doorway and watched his dim shape outlined against the light from the tar barrel. When Lyman went into the happy day, Jim stepped out into the open and fashioned a cigarette, which was a little hard to do because of the shaking of his hands. It was beginning to rain, not one of the sudden violent thunderstorms he was used to in Colorado, but a steady, persistent downpour that seemed as though it might last all night. There was a smell of wet dust in the air, and the sound of the piano over at the happy day was pleasantly muffled. There was something soothing about the feel of the rain on his bruised face, but he realized he would soon be soaked to the skin, so he tossed away his cigarette and went back into the barn. The fight, on top of an oldie ride, had left him worn out. All he wanted to do was stretch out on a bed and sleep for a week. But he couldn't walk out and leave the place unguarded, especially since he had been the cause of the liveryman's departure. Presumably, the owner of the business would find out what had happened and come down to investigate, or some local citizen would come along and Jim could send word. In the meantime, his horse still had to be taken care of. He located a dry grain sack and used it to rub down the gelding. This familiar physical action stopped the twitching of his muscles and calmed his nerves. By the time he was done, he was himself again and was grinning a little. Spending a night in town could be more strenuous than bedding down beside the trail, apparently, at least in this town of Cottonwood. In the morning, he'd be glad to turn his back on the place and ride on. There must be friendlier towns than this in New Mexico, towns that could use a freighting business. If not, he'd push on to Texas. Because he didn't like doing things halfway, he led the gelding out into the middle of the barn and tied him to a post then found a rake and pitchfork and cleaned the stall. There was a pile of clean hay in one corner of the room, and he spread some of it on the floor. 
He scooped a can full of grain out of a bin and poured it into the feed box, then led his horse back into the stall and tied its halter rope to an iron ring bolted to the manger. Close to an hour had elapsed since the fight, but no one had come along to supply the information he wanted. He crossed to the doorway and looked out into the now muddy street. Two windows of the happy day were yellow squares of light against the surrounding darkness, and the lantern in front of the hotel glowed dimly. In spite of the rain, the tar barrel still flickered fitfully, its flame reflected in numerous pools of water in the street. To his left, over beyond the west end of the business section, lamplight shone weakly from the windows of three or four houses. Likely the owner of this stable might be in one of them, and Jim considered crossing to the saloon and inquiring, but decided against it. So far as he knew, Jake Lyman was still in the saloon, and he had no desire to renew the argument now. The fellow was nothing to him, just a mean-tempered brute who apparently thought the name Lyman gave him some sort of prestige. He turned away from the door and moved along between the two rows of stalls. The horses had calmed down now, and he checked to make sure each one had been fed, then was entangled up in its halter rope. All the stalls were in need of cleaning, but it would be an all-night job to put them in order. So he contented himself with untangling a few snarl ropes and doling out some handfuls of grain. When he finished, he made himself another cigarette and moved over to the doorway where there would be no danger of setting fire to the hay. He struck a match and cupped it to the tip of his cigarette. As he looked up from the flame, he saw someone angling across the street toward the stable, someone wearing a long yellow slicker. Jim grunted with relief. Maybe now he could get away from here and get to bed. Yellow slicker was zigzagging across the street evidently trying to avoid the worst of the puddles. Somehow Jim got the impression that it was a woman, but this was an idea he couldn't quite accept. No woman would be out on the street alone at this time of night, certainly not in a storm such as this. Even as he reached this conclusion, the stranger leaped the last puddle and entered the barn. A slim hand reached up to remove a water-soaked felt hat, and two angry eyes looked up at Jim accusingly. Who are you and what happened to Jake Lyman? For a minute, all Jim could do was stare. Impossible or not, this was certainly a woman, and not like any woman Jim had ever seen before. She couldn't be over nineteen or twenty, and either anger or the beating rain had turned her cheeks almost as red as her lips. Belatedly, Jim removed his hat. I'm Jim Dixon, miss. If it was Jake who was supposed to be running this livery stable, he took his stuff and cleared out. Likely, whoever sent you here told you his side of what happened. He frowned. What's your interest in it, miss? You couldn't be the owner, surely. My husband is, she said sharply. And don't call me miss. I'm Ellen Carter. Mrs. Victor Carter. Yes, ma'am, Jim said. I might have known. It took a deep breath. The girl looked at him speculatively. Just what did you mean by that, Mr. Dixon? Uh, nothing, ma'am. It wouldn't do at all, Jim decided, to tell her that he had always feared that if he found as pretty a girl as he dreamed about, 
should already be married. He shook his head. I didn't aim to drive away your helper, but you can tell your husband he hasn't lost much. He gestured toward the stalls. You can see for yourself what kind of job he was doing. For six bits a night, a man's entitled to a clean stall for his horse and good treatment. She frowned. Jake wasn't supposed to charge six bits. Our price is fifty cents. Then he was holding out on you, too, Jim said. That's another reason for your husband to be glad he's rid of him. He glanced at the street. I reckon he'll be along pretty quick. Your husband, that is? She bit her lip. Mr. Carter had to leave town for a few days. That's what makes it so bad. I knew Jake Lyman wasn't much good, but there has to be somebody here to look after things. That shouldn't be much of a problem, Jim remarked. There's always some puncher looking for a change of jobs. She smiled wryly. It isn't as simple as that, Mr. Dixon. Around this town, nobody does anything unless Monty Lyman says so. They'd all be afraid to take Jake's job if Monty doesn't want him to. This Monty Lyman, Jim asked curiously, what makes him so all-fired important? Is he ten feet tall or something? For the first time, the girl really smiled, and it made her even more attractive. He's not as tall as you are, Mr. Dixon, but he's an important man around Cottonwood. He owns the largest ranch in this part of the territory, most of the store buildings on this street, and he runs a freighting company. Freighting? Jim was immediately interested. That's right. Why? Nothing, I guess. Just that I'm looking for a location to start a hauling outfit of my own. He noticed the worried look in her eyes. Well, there's likely nothing much you can do about this until morning. If it'll ease your mind any, I'll stay here overnight. For that matter, I don't mind helping you out for a day or two if you need me. A couple of my wagons are on the road behind me, and I don't want to get too far ahead of them. He looked at her thoughtfully. I reckon your husband will be back pretty soon. She dropped her eyes, and the smile faded. I'm expecting him any day, Mr. Dixon. In the meantime, I can certainly use your help. She gave him a quick smile, and then put the damp hat back on her head and went out into the rain. Jim watched the yellow slicker until it disappeared in the darkness, then continued to watch until a light came on in one of the houses at the far end of the street. Afterward, he closed the big barn door and crossed the room to lift the lantern off the hook. He untied his bedroll from the back of his saddle and entered the room in which Jake Lyman had lived. The place was as dirty as a sty. But he was too tired to clean it now, so he merely yanked Jake's blankets off the buck and tossed them in the corner, then unrolled his own blanket on the straw tick. He undressed quickly, blew out the lantern, and crawled into bed. After a bit, he chuckled softly in the darkness. What sort of mess had he let himself in for? Because a pretty girl had needed help, he had agreed to look after things until her husband got back? And how did he know what this might amount to? For all he knew, the man might be gone for a month, though how any man could willingly stay away from a girl like Ellen Carter was hard to understand. He thought about Marty Lyman then. It seemed like Lyman made big tracks around here, and he likely wouldn't feel very friendly toward the man who had licked his brother. Well, if Lyman already had the freighting business sewed up around Cottonwood, there'd be no reason to hang around long anyway. 
With that thought in mind, he fell asleep. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Fast Freight to Boot Hill. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.